Welcome. I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. My name is Mary Gavoni, and I'll be the moderator for this episode. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating the regulatory arena to keep you on course. You can subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. Any of the resources we mentioned during the podcast can be found on the the compliancedivas.com website, and you can submit any questions to us via email at support at the compliancedivas.com. So today's topic is influenza versus the COVID-19 virus, the coronavirus. COVID-19 has essentially overshadowed other airborne infections during this pandemic, mostly influenza. Last year, Influenza cases in the U.S. were down significantly over previous years, most likely due to isolation, mask mandates, and increased vaccine rates among individuals. But this year, we're seeing an uptick in the numbers of influenza cases, and including individuals who are co-infected with COVID-19 and the Omicron variant, which is the most prevalent one in the U.S. right now, so much so that the acronym FLURONA is being floated around now as sort of a code for um, describing people who are co-infected with the flu and with coronavirus. So what we're going to talk about today are the differences in symptoms and the disease process and other characteristics of COVID-19 versus influenza, and what you need to know about how you can prevent the flu and COVID-19 co-infections. So we're going to start with Olivia. And Olivia, will you describe basically the differences between influenza and COVID-19? And how would someone know if they have COVID or the flu or perhaps both? Sure, Mary. So we recognize that Both COVID and flu is contagious respiratory illness, but the COVID-19 is a coronavirus that we identified in 2019, whereas the flu is the influenza virus. And in order to understand which virus someone has, they have to be tested, And we've known of of numerous cases where people actually had both the influenza and COVID-19, as you pointed out, being referred to as flu-rona, which is like a double whammy to have to deal with. So testing would indicate uh, which virus that they have or both. Thanks, Olivia. And that is important. And many healthcare providers now are doing that testing because they're not sure um, which virus and so forth that they need to be treating. So, Leslie, will you discuss some of the similarities and differences between how COVID-19 and influenza spread? In other words, when is somebody infectious for either one of those viruses? 
Well, certainly, Mary, we have similarities that we're going to start with first. Both COVID-19 and flu can be spread from person to person between people who are in close contact with one another. And we've already determined that that's about six feet. Both are spread mainly by large and small particles containing virus that are expelled when people either cough or sneeze or talk. And these particles can land in the mouths or noses of people who are close by and possibly be inhaled into the lungs. And in some circumstances, such as indoor settings uh, with poor ventilation, small particles might be spread even further than six feet and cause infection. I would say that a lot of our dental practices, we could consider those to be uh, small indoor settings. And we hope that, that they have addressed the CDC's recommendation for better ventilation. So it's also possible that a person can get infected from touching some another person. For example, shaking hands with someone who has the virus on their hands. Hence, we, we now have the fist bump or the elbow bump as we greet people today. It can also be on a surface. And uh, many times we call uh, a surface of contact, we got fomite. We hear that frequently in dentistry. So we touch a surface that has a virus on it and then touch our own mouth, nose, or eyes. And so that's something that I've been completely focused on over this pandemic period is reminding myself not to touch my eyes, nose, or mouth. And it's not easy. We have to really think about that. So both flu virus and the virus that causes COVID-19 can be spread to other people before anyone has a symptom. So they, you know, people with mild symptoms, they may not notice they have symptoms or people who never experience symptoms at all. We call that asymptomatic people. So that's the similarities. The differences are uh, while the virus that causes COVID-19 and flu viruses are thought to be similar in uh, how they spread, uh, the virus that causes COVID is generally more contagious than flu viruses. Also, COVID-19 has been observed to have more super spreading events than flu. Now, this means that the virus that causes COVID can quickly and easily spread to a lot of people and result in continual spreading among people as time progresses, which is what we are seeing happening in the United States right now. Mary? Thanks, Leslie. Um, another difference that is important to know, too, is that in most cases, if someone is infected with influenza, they are most likely infectious right away where somebody who's infected with COVID-19 may not be infectious to others for one, two, or three days after they have been um, exposed and infected. So our diva Linda is not able to be with us today, but her question that she wants to address is about flu vaccines. Why are they given every year? And why is it important during the pandemic? So the reason that flu vaccines are so important during the pandemic is because they're always, influenza is always a risk. And influenza in many years, except for last year, can kill up to 30,000 people um, in the U.S. 
due to pneumonia and other related symptoms. Now, again, many of those people are, are people who, like those infected with COVID, have underlying conditions and have more serious cases. And so we want to certainly avoid that and we want to avoid hospitalizations. The reason that influenza vaccines are given every year is that they're not sort of the universal type of vaccine like the COVID-19 vaccine. The COVID-19 vaccine was designed to be providing antibody protection to as many strains as possible through the mRNA formula of the vaccine, and it can be easily modified in boosters. But what happens with influenza from one year to the next, there are different strains of influenza, not necessarily variants like COVID. So COVID would have certain common components. The influenza viruses don't necessarily have common components. They change from year to year. And the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control and other public health agencies conduct a lot of surveillance around the world to see what variants or what strains of influenza are being spread and what ones that they predict may be prevalent in the coming year. And that's what the vaccine is made for. So we know that in some years, the influenza vaccine is very effective. And that effectiveness rate may be around 70% or higher, which is a big difference because the COVID-19 vaccine is said to be 90 plus percent or higher. But in some years, if there's a different strain of influenza that is spreading and it wasn't included in the influenza vaccine, then the effectiveness rate is lowered. I believe it was 2017 or 2018. It was only about 20% effective according to the CDC. So that's pretty bleak, but it's not a reason not to get the flu vaccine because the same rationale applies to influenza as it does to COVID. Even if you're exposed to either a new variant of COVID or a different flu strain that is in the vaccine, most likely you will have a milder case, a lesser risk of serious symptoms and decreased risk of hospitalization or death due to influenza or COVID. So Olivia, can you talk to us about why should we be so concerned whether an individual is co-infected with influenza and COVID at the same time? Sure, Mary. I think we've established it pretty well that you can contract flu and COVID simultaneously and end up with a bout that is more serious and take longer to get better. And I wanted to reflect back on my years working in a dental office, I don't remember getting the flu vaccine when I worked as an office manager and registered assistant. But as soon as I became self-employed, so 21 years ago, when I started working for myself, I have every year, never missed a year with my flu vaccine. Because as the other divas, we signed speaking contracts up to a year or more in advance. Or when we're going to someone's office, they cancel their patients or block out time for their trainer to come in. And so if we were to contract the flu or even with COVID, we pretty much have messed up other people's schedules. 
and it makes it very difficult. So for those of us like the divas that are self-employed, you pretty much call in debt. It is very difficult to rearrange other people's schedules. So very conscientious of getting our flu vaccines and also making that decision to be vaccinated against COVID. I've heard of people here lately that were against the COVID vaccine who have since chosen to vaccinate because of the quarantine recommendations changing. So that might be something that influences us. So Mary, to summarize, to avoid being co-infected, we definitely want to make sure we're getting our flu vaccine and not forgetting about that just because of our COVID vaccine. Leslie, did you have something to share? Well, yes, Olivia, you sparked a point of about 21 years ago that you were leaving the private practice setting and moving into being self-employed and being a lecturer. And I noticed that as I got out and lectured, I would pull my audiences and just ask them, you know, really kind of, it, it's, it hopefully didn't violate anybody's privacy, but I asked them to raise their hand if they were vaccinated for influenza. And I was often surprised that less than 10% of my audiences, wherever I was, whether it's a large group or whether it was a small office, were actually vaccinated. And then when swine flu hit us in 2009, I would pull my audiences again because CDC were, were and public health officials were recommending that everyone get vaccinated for influenza every year. Still, it seemed like there was a, a great deal of reluctance. I moved into asking that question again a little bit later, you know, around 2017, 18, 19, and I found that the majority of my audiences were vaccinated for influenza. So I'm hoping to see that with COVID vaccination as we get uh, more used to the information and, and trust the information and trust the science that we'll see more dental professionals uh, accept the vaccination to protect themselves and their coworkers and their patients. Thanks, Leslie. And one other thing that I wanted to mention is that there still is a misconception about flu vaccines that you can get the flu from your flu shot. That is not true. The flu vaccine is not a live virus vaccine, so it doesn't contain any live influenza virus that can make you sick. But some scenarios can happen. First of all, anyone can have a reaction to a vaccine, and that might be misinterpreted as getting the flu. But what more commonly happens is that an individual was exposed to someone with a cold, another coronavirus, or some other respiratory infection around the time that they got their flu vaccine, and they assumed it was the flu vaccine that caused it, but yet they were already exposed. Keep in mind that just like we hear with Uh, the COVID-19 vaccine, it takes up to two weeks for you to fully develop antibodies from the flu vaccine. Now, some people may be allergic to some components of the flu vaccine. And so you always need to talk to your healthcare provider about that, whether it's appropriate for you or not. But there are two other questions and I'll ask Olivia to weigh in first. And then Leslie, the first question is, should patients with flu symptoms be seen in the practice? Of course not. That would put our other patients at risk as well as our team members. And so we should have policies on that to make sure if patients are reporting those symptoms that they are not treated. And that's why it's so helpful with the COVID screening questions, since the symptoms are so comparable that, you know, whether they have influenza or COVID, we're still keeping them out of the dental office setting. 
Right. So if someone has respiratory symptoms and they tell you they have had a negative COVID test, they in many cases expect to be seen. But if I'm understanding you correctly, and I totally agree with you, if a patient has respiratory symptoms, they should not be treated in the practice pandemic or no pandemic because it's hazardous to everybody's health. And then lastly, the question for you is, what about employees who have flu symptoms? Should they be at work or not? Uh, absolutely not, Mary. I think we can agree that the CDC guidelines that have been enforced since 2003 suggest the work restrictions for healthcare personnel. And influenza is one of the work restriction guidelines. So we want to make certain that we're not sick, that we're not transmitting that virus to other individuals. And I just want to comment further on Olivia's mention of patients. In California, it is a regulation that we screen patients. Now, kind of an interesting little point there is that with the aerosol transmissible disease standard, they do exclude seasonal flu, uh, common cold or seasonal flu. So, you know, in, in California, people could be seen for healthcare. It, it is kind of contradiction to what we were talking about, but let's, let's be frank about this. When a patient comes into the office and they don't feel well, chances are they're not going to be able to hold their mouth open comfortably anyway. And someone that can't breathe through their nose. Now we've got, you know, somebody that is not comfortable health wise and can't breathe well while we're doing dental treatment, which creates a jeopardy for them. Plus they're shedding their virus to us. And in the case where we're not wearing N95 respirators, we could easily be exposed from the patient and spread that virus, not only to each other, but of course, to other patients that might be in the reception room with that infected person. So employees should be screened for influenza at work. Uh, we should be screening for other types of work restriction issues. And I want to mention that we will put in the resources, the CDC guidelines from 2003, that has a table of work restrictions for everything from conjunctivitis, pink eye, uh, to hepatitis and, and other uh, areas where we want to be concerned about exposing other people. Thanks, Leslie. That is a great resource. And not only will we put the entire set of guidelines, we'll put those two pages from those guidelines as a separate document. So it's a really quick reference for anyone to refer to. So we hope you found this helpful and thought-provoking in how you perceive risks of influenza and spreading it or contracting it. If you haven't received a flu shot yet, you still can do it. It's not too late to do it. So please join us again for our next episode. Remember, all of the resources that we mentioned today will be available on the resources tab on the Compliance Divas website. And if you have any questions, you can submit them by email to support at thecompliancedivas.com. Thanks for joining us.